بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All praise and thanks to you solely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Traces, peace, blessings and salutations upon our master and exemplar, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. I welcome you back to Hajj, the journey of the hearts. This is the second episode. I'm your host, Malana Irshad Siddiq. And inshallah ta'ala, we will be exploring a few very pertinent topics today uh, in and around the Hajj especially in relation to what our hujjaj are currently undergoing, that is namely the departure from their homelands and everything that we need to know in relation to ourselves, prospective future hujjaj, as well as those who have been on hajj, you know, previously, years, years ago, or perhaps recently. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of our ibadat. Ameen, Ya Rabbal Alameen. So my heart and all of our hearts goes out to you, who have been who have been uh, from among those who's waited patiently for Hajj and then perhaps you were accredited um, 2020 to perform your Hajj and then the pandemic started and we all know that um, we didn't have a normal Hajj running so none of our uh, Hujjaj left from South Africa for the last couple of years and then of course this year Alhamdulillah things have started to sort of go back to normal. And then we found that many of those hujjaj who previously were accredited and ready to go and had their packages booked and so forth were now kind of left behind. Either the prices were so preventative, they were so prohibitive that you could no longer afford it or you were not accredited because there were far less accreditations than we usually get and thus you are sitting with a broken heart and perhaps a defeated spirit. But the first message that we have for you today is do not despair, do not lose hope and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more aware of your situation than you are. Know that this situation could potentially be very good for you and that may sound strange but this is exactly what happened to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam and the sahaba when they too wanted to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the seventh year after the hijrah. And uh, we know this as Hudaybiyah and the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. We know that the Prophet والسلام, and the sahaba, they were prevented. They were prevented from approaching the house of Allah. And in their prevention, some of the Sahaba felt that the mushrikun that were passing them by, that were going to uh, access the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they should prevent them. You know, if we are prevented, then we should prevent others. This was the thinking of some. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses in the Quran to set things right. So we look at the Quran, verse number two of Surah Al-Ma'idah. That's the fifth surah of the Quran. So that's reference Chapter 5, verse number 2. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not violate the rights of Allah. 
the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا شَهْرَ الْحَرَامِ Nor should you violate the sacred months. And of course, the sacred months in Islam are ذُلْ قَعْدَةِ ذُلْ حِجَّةِ Muharram and Rajab. And we find ourselves in the month of ذُلْ قَعْدَةِ and this verse that applies very directly. So do not desanctify or violate the sanctity of the sacred months. وَلَا الْهَدِيَةِ Nor should you violate the sacrificial animals. وَلَا Nor the garlanded animals. So in the past, when the hujjaj would proceed for hajj, they would actually take the sacrificial animals with them. And these were symbols of the hajj. These were symbols of ibadah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this verse, Allah specifically says, do not violate these sacred symbols. وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامِ Nor should you violate the sanctity of those who seek the safety of the house of Allah, the sacred house. يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِّن رَبِّهِمْ They are seeking the fadl, the virtue, the bounty مِّن رَبِّهِمْ from their Lord. وَرِضْوَانًا And they are seeking Allah's pleasure. وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا And then, when you exit the state of ihram, when you exit that sanctified state known as ihram, fastadu, then you may hunt. Of course, this is in reference to the fact that hunting is prohibited while we are in a state of ihram. Fastadu, now you may hunt. وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ أَنْ صَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ أَنْ تَعْتَدُوا And this is the the intended segment of the verse that I actually want to highlight. Do not let the hatred of a people who prevent you from the sacred house, do not let that cause you or incite you to anta'tadu, to sin, to transgress, to go beyond the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى Assist one another with righteousness and Allah consciousness. وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ And do not assist one another in sin and transgression. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And have taqwa of Allah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most severe in punishment. So what's the relevance of this? Well, we see two things. We see, number one, that some of our hujjaj or those who intended to be hujjaj this year, they were prevented. They were prevented because of circumstances outside of their control. And thus they are not mukallaf for that prevention. In the same way or in a similar way that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and the sahaba were prevented. And there of course the mushrikun had nefarious motives. Now, you know, the matters are somewhat complicated. But the moral of this particular lesson here is that do not let this event of having been prevented from Allah's house cause you to transgress the limits, cause you to desanctify the sanctity of Hajj, cause you to lose honor and reverence for this holy act of, of worship. Instead, assist one another with righteousness and piety. For if you assist one another with righteousness and piety, inshallah ta'ala, you will overcome this challenge that has been placed before you. And just like the Prophet wasallam and the Sahaba, who experienced much goodness from that act of prevention of the mushrikun at Hudaybiyah. And with that said, we'll be right back after the break. 
with some more insights into Hajj, the journey of the hearts. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ba'd, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, welcome back to Hajj, the journey of the hearts, episode number two, I'm your host, Malana Irshad Siddiq, and before the break, we looked at Surah Ma'idah, that's the fifth juz of the Qur'an, verse number two, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the believers that they should not desanctify the symbols of Hajj, nor the Hajj itself. And then importantly, towards the latter part of the verse, Allah Rabbul Izzati Wal Jalal mentions that we should not let our hatred of people who prevent us from the sacred house cause us to transgress the limits and enter into sin. And that instead, instead of causing our hatred or our dislike of people for doing that, uh, we should assist one another with righteousness and piety and not assist one another with sin and transgression. So this is a very interesting verse because it seems to almost directly address the current situation. If you have been prevented from performing your hajj that you saved up for, that you, 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 know, you, you, you worked hard for, blood, sweat and tears, and you really yearn to visit the sacred house, perhaps you've never been there before, perhaps you've never performed your hajj before, you've never even made an umrah before, and here your dreams feel as though they are shattered before your eyes, how would one respond? Now, a jahili sort of ignorant response would be to turn against Allah and, and speak very ill words such as, how can Allah do this to me? And so forth. But of course, we know that's not befitting of the believer. Others find the approach to be, let's just blame everyone. Let's blame the travel agents, let's, let's blame the authorities, let's blame the governments. Let's just blame, right? And there are certainly, you know, elements within this particular journey of Hajj that need to be addressed, whether that be the steep prices, uh, the exchange rates, the various fees that our hujaja charged, absolutely. And we should, you know, put our heads together and try to overcome these challenges in a dignified manner in a manner that would assist all and sundry. But there are also certain things that we need to realize, certain logistics that are definitely outside of our control. The fact that the Muslim Ummah is growing exponentially every single year, the fact that all of us have this yearning and this strong desire to fulfill our Hajj and fulfill our acts of Ibadat, all of this is absolutely great. But this also means that because more and more people want to visit the sacred house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is going to be a higher demand and the supply, if we, if we call it that, you know, the supply in terms of space and resources is definitely limited. Naturally, there's going to be in any market an increase in price because when supply cannot meet the demand, the price increases. Naturally, because of unfortunate phenomena that we have come to live with, such as inflation, and then of course the pandemic, there's definitely, you know, an expected increase. Our hearts break for this. Our hearts break for that auntie, that uncle who's been saving their pension money, their kusista sales money. To stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's house and then to be disappointed like this, our hearts break for you. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides you with the comfort and the contentment in your heart to overcome this challenge and to keep going. And that's really the point. The point that I want to make is 
you know, it's not going to help you to complain and to argue and to become, uh, you know, sort of transgressing the limits as far as what we say about people and about uh, groups of people, organizations, if that's going to disappoint Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's just not worth it. Instead, as Allah, ta- as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sort of refocuses us in this verse and says, Have taqwa of Allah. Allah diverts our attention and he says, No, instead, assist one another with righteousness and piety. So the more difficult hajj becomes, you know, uh, in terms of logistics and in terms of expenses and so forth, the more we need to stand together and find ways to remain focused. Find ways, creative ways, that perhaps were not necessary in the past, where we can assist the poorest of the poor, not that money is all that counts, but that we can really assist one another, you know, to overcome these challenges and continue to strive towards our objective, and that is to stand on the plains of Arafah on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah and say, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. Perhaps it won't be in the way that we wanted. Perhaps it won't be for the duration that we wanted. Perhaps it won't be when we wanted. But if our objective is clear and our niyyah, our all-important intention is strong and focused, nothing will stand in the way of Allah Ta'ala taking us for hajj. And we have to we have to believe this. We have to live by this. Our forefathers have always, you know, been very emphatic about the niya. They would say, make your niya sterk, you know, make your niya strong. And what was intended thereby is, come what may, remain focused. Understand what it is that you want out of this journey and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fervently for it. Is hajj obligatory upon everyone? No, it's not. Hajj is a physical and a financial ibadah. And because it is a financial ibadah, it is only obligatory upon us if we meet the requirements to undertake the journey. That means having enough for the journey going and coming, as well as to suffice our family during our absence. And if we don't meet these requirements, Allah Ta'ala will not hold us accountable for not performing hajj. And this is a blessing from Allah Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal. Yes, our emotions and our sentiments still desire to perform it. But we also have to be realistic with ourselves and only undertake such a noble journey when we can do so, having fulfilled the requirements of Islam. After the break, we will look at the details of where our journey lies right now. Hajj, the journey of the hearts, right after this. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Wa ba'd. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. Welcome back to Hajj, Journey of the Hearts, episode number two. I'm your host, Manana Irshad Siddiq. And we've discussed the verse in the Quran from Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number two, Surah number five. And we really understood now that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly addresses, you know, those who have been kept behind or those who have been prevented, encouraging them to, instead of turning towards sin and transgression of Allah's laws, but rather to stand together and to assist one another with righteousness and piety and to take the lessons from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam and the Sahaba. They too were prevented from Allah's house. And while the Sahaba became really frustrated, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam assured them that this is going to be good for us. And they couldn't quite understand it. But because of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and I strongly encourage you to read up about that, because of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, more people embraced Islam in the years following the treaty than in all the years together before the treaty. And there are many reasons for this, but of course, uh, the focus here is on the Hajj. Now, in our tradition, locally in Cape Town, South Africa, we have many rituals and traditions that are almost entirely cultural. And I say almost entirely because many of the cultural traditions of our people in Cape Town, South Africa, again, they are based in Deen, even though they are not necessarily encouraged as a separate independent act of ibadah. For example, our hujjaj have a legacy of greeting their families and friends, going from house to house and greeting very formally, you know, all formally dressed and they get the family together, they knock on the door, uh, they get the entire, you know, the people of the household, they can judge by the time of the year that these people are visiting. This used to take place before Ramadan. Um, these people are well-dressed. They look, they look like hujjaj. You know, they haven't, they haven't undertaken the journey yet, but they look like hujjaj. So immediately they call everyone in the house together and uh, the guests, they are seated. Usually they don't spend a lot of time because they have many people to visit. And they ask everyone to sit down and then they commence their greeting. And either the hosts would know that these people were intending to perform hajj or they had no idea and they are surprised by it. And the greeting commences. You know, if Allah forgives us and allows us, we intend to make safar or travel to the sacred house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the reasons of hajj and umrah. And we seek your forgiveness for anything and everything we have made and transgressed against you. And we ask of you to pray for us and make dua for us. That Allah allows us to reach all of the places that we want to reach. And that we are able to fulfill our ibadat in the best of ways. Now, colloquially, this sounds a lot more smooth and a lot more uh, inviting. But I'm, I'm trying to give a very universal understanding of this for those who are perhaps not familiar with our tradition. Often this greeting also is an opportunity for sharing some stories, some nasiha from the host to the guest and an opportunity for a word of encouragement. And, you know, many a times tears are shed at such moments. And this would then lead the hujjaj to receive all of these individuals whom they had greeted personally at their homes, they receive these guests now at their home before they depart for Hajj. In the past, this used to take place weeks before their departure for Hajj. And of course, we know times have changed and the circumstances of the Hujjaj have changed. So people generally only get guests about a week before they depart these days. And in fact, with the most recent batch of Hujjaj, those who are currently leaving, uh, many of them had to inform guests perhaps not to visit until or rather to stop visiting a few days before they depart because of certain uh, PCR tests that they needed to undertake and needed to pass. So they needed, you know, they just wanted a certain level of surety and Allah knows best. So with this tradition has somewhat been sacrificed and uh, it is rather disappointing.
But the spirit continues, whether it be via WhatsApp or social media or radio announcements, our hujjaj generally make it known to the greater community that they are performing the hajj. And the number one reason that this is important is to solicit prayers, supplications, du'as from the community. And it's amazing that every hajj will attest to the fact that they feel the strength of the du'as coming to them at times when they need it the most. They feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with them and they feel as though the entire community is behind them when they are performing this sacred, you know, the sacred rituals of hajj. Along with that, there were also traditions of hujjaj going to greet the kramats, right? Just paying respect and homage to our forefathers who had initially brought Islam to our shores. This is not a sunnah, this is not a requirement. Um, you know, oftentimes people would go overboard in such things. But the idea was, you know, without these pious in individuals and predecessors, we wouldn't have been Muslim, we wouldn't have known Islam. So let's go and make dua for them. And this also presented them with an opportunity to get the entire family together and have a day of socializing and praise and dhikr. And as long as everything is in accordance with the Quran and the Sunnah, as far as what we need to do and what we should avoid when visiting the graves, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. When our community members visit the Hujjaj, it's always a beautiful, heartwarming occasion. And if everything is according to, you know, uh, the traditions of, of our people, then the, the conversations would primarily be around Hajj. Everyone relating the experience and what it was like when they went and how it was in years gone by. And then whatever advice they can offer the Hujjaj, sometimes even advice that the Hujjaj never thought of asking for, they share at these occasions. More recently, there's been a, uh, a stream of, of visitations from jama'at, right? Groups of, of munshidun, of, of those who recite nasheeds and make dhikr. So these dhikr jama'at would come and visit the hujjaj and, uh, you know, perform some dhikrullah. I say perform because they usually do it in a very beautiful, poetic, rhythmic fashion serenading the hujjaj and this is a very emotional experience for the hujjaj as well and again not something to be found in quran or sunnah but a tradition of culture that uh, we should definitely embrace because it's it's a heartwarming tradition that is in complete conformity with whatever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us in the quran and sunnah and as long as those rules are observed there's no problem with that either another very important element and I say important because it really helps. It helps the hujjaj. Uh, it's, it's the element of the slavat, right? What the origin of this is, Allah alone knows. But all the guests whom the hujjaj had visited, they would, without even being asked, they would hand over an envelope or a tissue or even a serviette just that's wrapped over some money sometimes coins, sometimes paper money, sometimes small amounts and sometimes very large amounts. They would hand this over to the, to the haji when the haji departs or when they greet the haji, in fact. So whenever the last greeting takes place or one of the, the visits to the hujjaj, they would hand over this envelope, they would hand over the slavat. The, the haj would, uh, in, a very, in, a, in a very dignified manner, place that in their pockets 
And, uh, you know, most of the time, subhanAllah, especially when, when the hujjaj receive many guests, most of the time their pockets get filled very quickly. And the amounts that some hujjaj receive are really incredible, subhanAllah. And this is a very, very good practice because giving of gifts causes love in the hearts and there's barakah in the giving of gifts. So there's no expectation from, from the visitors, generally speaking, or from the guests of the hujjaj, there's no expectation that they should receive anything in return. But in the past, when things were somewhat easier and finances were perhaps a bit better, hujjaj would often return with gifts for everyone, even if it is a fez and a tasbih and a little bottle of, of perfume or atr. That would be a gesture of thanks to the guests who had brought them these gifts, but again, not in exchange for those gifts. These days, often hujjaj limit the, the return gifts to only the immediate family members, and that's absolutely fine and understandable because, again, this is not necessary, and uh, it's quite difficult to come home with gifts for everyone. Another beautiful tradition is the packing in and leaving the home. Now we get to the more sacred dimensions of the rituals. Because in the packing in, uh, you know, as, as simple as it may sound to somebody unfamiliar with the tradition, the hujaj actually get people to come and assist them with packing in their case. There's no sunnah regarding this. There's no ayah regarding this. It's just they want their family to share in the moment. So everyone gets to put something into the case while some adhkar is being recited and while dua is being recited as well. They would even get an imam to come and make a dua for the packing in. This tradition is also somewhat dying out. But again, this shows and demonstrates to us what hajj meant to our people, what it meant to our mothers and our fathers and how sacred it was to them. It was such a rare opportunity and such a golden opportunity that every moment was cherished and every moment became a memory. And then, as I said, when they leave the homes, now the emotions are on high. The entire family is there. Usually there's an imam or some learned person who can come and give some nasiha and render a dua, recite some verses from the Quran for protection and also encourage the hujjaj to pray rakats, a few rakats of salah before leaving for travel. And then the adhan is recited. And the adhan, there are, there are traces of this, there are discussions of this in our books of fiqh, that uh, the adhan is to be read behind the traveler when they exit the, the hometowns, when they exit their homes. So there's actually evidence for that. But there are many symbolic features of this adhan. For example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, to build the Kaaba and complete the building of the Kaaba and purifying the Kaaba and he prayed for the Kaaba. Allah then told him, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ Announce, make adhan of the Hajj to the people. So there's this symbolic gesture that this is now the adhan in response to the adhan of Nabi Ibrahim And then there's the, 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 the symbolic gesture, but also the metaphysical reality that the adhan chases away, wards off evil because a hadith uh, are replete with, with information about how the adhan uh, causes shaitan to flee. So all of this takes place. And when once that adhan is read, the family and the hujjaj are generally very, very emotional because this is also a reminder 
of the status of the Hajj. And that status of the Hajj is that, as uh, one of our shuyukh here in Cape Town, Sheikh Riyad Wolves often says, it is a journey to Allah in this life in preparation for the journey to Allah in the next life. And that's exactly what Hajj symbolizes. And Imam Al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, the great Shafi, Faqih, and Mutakallim, and uh, you know, master of many Islamic disciplines, Abu Hamid Muhammad ibn Muhammad ibn Muhammad Al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a chapter in his book, Ihya'ulum al-Din, called Asrarul Hajj. And this Asrarul Hajj, the secrets of the pilgrimage, is basically an analysis of the Hajj in light of the journey in the year after. The journey of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, from Allah and back to Allah. The journey through death and through the resurrection and through Qiyamah. And all of the, the different aspects of that journey is to be found within this amazing journey of Hajj. So when the Hujjaj stand at the, at the doors and the Adhan is read and they leave their homes with their luggage and so forth, you know, remember that there was a time when Hujjaj would leave with the Ihrams already donned. And this donning of the Ihram as one leaves is still possible depending on what type of Hajj you're going to be performing, when and from where, etc. But the Hujjaj have the Ihrams in their cases, they are ready with the the clothing that they, they are to be shrouded in, much like when they will be standing at their doors or rather when they will be in uh, a case, a cattle as we call it, that would be a, a coffin that would be carted out of the door and that their family would be there as well and emotions will be high as well and they will also be leaving their home. The only difference is with this journey of Hajj, they are hoped and expected to return. But the next time they will be standing there in a similar fashion, there will be no hope of return. And that's when they will leave their home for the final time for their Salatul Janazah. They leave with their luggage because they need preparations. Prepare for the journey of Hajj. So they leave with their preparations. They need their visa, their passport, their tickets, their luggage, etc. Otherwise, they'll be in serious trouble when they get to the other side. And similarly, when they one day will leave for the Qabr, they will need to have provisions with them. They will need to have the kalima and the good deeds and the Qur'an. And they would need to have the Iman in place. Because if they don't have those provisions, when they get to the other side, they will also be in serious trouble. And like this, Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, he paints for us a picture of how the Hajj symbolizes the different phases of the journey in the, in the next life. And at this point, family members would embrace the beloved Hujjaj who are now departing the home and who will be, will be guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying the sunnah du'as for the traveler. And uh, those who don't know the du'as, they would generally say something like salamat travel, which means may you have a peaceful and safe journey. May you be safe on this journey. And those who know the du'as would say, uh, I place you in the trust of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for your, for your iman and your deen and the end result of your affairs. And they would greet the hujjaj as though they're never going to see them again. Because that is in fact a great possibility. 
After the break, we talk more about how this Hajj is a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life, in preparation for that journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next life. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ba'd. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. Welcome back to Hajj, the journey of the hearts. I'm your host, Manana Irshad Siddiq. And we look now at the verse in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 197, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ba'da an akula a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Al-Hajj ashurum ma'lumat. The months of Hajj are the well-known months. They are... Shawwal, Dhul Qa'dah, and the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. We are currently in the months of Hajj. Then Allah says, فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّ فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجِّ So whosoever intends to perform Hajj therein, let them abstain from illicit talks, all forms of sin, and arguments. During the Hajj. Now, of course, we know we should always abstain from these things, but for the Hujjaj, it is even more emphasized. And whatever good you do, Allah knows about it. So you don't need to advertise it, you don't need to post about it on social media. And this is for encouragement, of course, or to stay in touch with family. But make sure you have sincerity in it. وَتَزَوَّدُوا And this is the point. And prepare. Prepare for this journey. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى And indeed the best of preparations is consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاتَّقُونِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ And have consciousness of me. Have taqwa of me, Allah. O possessors of intellect. Again, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 197. So before the break, we discussed how the hujjaj stand at their doors, the adhan is read, and they greet their families, but they also take their preparations with them. So the hujjaj would by that time have packed their suitcases, their luggage. Their luggage are loaded up into the cars and they are headed off for the airport. Now, if you get to the airport and you don't have your passport or your visa or your plane ticket or your luggage, you know, your clothing or your money, no one would proceed further. Either you're going to be turned around and not allowed uh, entry into the, into the aircraft, or you would just turn around and go back home because you know that you don't have what it takes to successfully undertake your journey. You don't have the physical means or the financial means, and therefore you won't go any further because you'd be in trouble. Similarly, the person who is taken to the qabr now, the difference, of course, being you don't have a choice as to when you're going to go to your cupboard, but you do have a choice as to whether you have enough provisions or not. Remember in the cupboard, the malaika, they ask, Who is your Lord? What is your religion? Who is this prophet that has been sent among you? And if you don't have the answers in place, not intellectually, but in your heart, if you don't have those answers in place, there's going to be big trouble down there. Allah protect us. Similarly, the hujjaj, they need their passport, their visa, everything needs to be in order in order for them to be successful in their journey. Now, the very, the very same thing applies as far as your finances are concerned. 
you would never want to undertake your journey to Allah in the next life if you don't have your luggage in order and your luggage in the year after are your good deeds. You wouldn't want your good deeds to be lacking when you proceed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the journey to Allah in this life for the Hajj, you don't want to be in a situation where you don't meet the requirements for the journey. So you end up having to either borrow money or just begging for money or asking people for loans, etc. during your Hajj. And this is why it is absolutely important that we separate our emotions that we want to perform Hajj and we do anything in our power to get there, etc. We need to separate that from, you know, are we obligated to perform Hajj? Do we qualify in terms of all the requirements of the financial journey to perform the Hajj? So even, you know, and this is the problem with the, with the accreditation system as we spoke about in the first episode, in that we, we get accredited and some people feel like this is a calling from Allah. I got an SMS and this SMS came straight from Jannah and I now need to perform Hajj whether I'm ready or not. And while that may be the case, the reality is Allah does not oblige us to undertake this journey unless we are prepared to do so. That said, preparation is not all about the money. One of the most serious elements of preparation for Hajj, if not the most serious, is the preparation of our hearts and minds. Hearts, because the best of preparation is taqwa. And minds, because you cannot fulfill the journey of hajj without the knowledge of how to do so. A pilgrim to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs to feel confident that he or she can undertake whatever this journey puts in front of them. And nothing is going to throw them off. Of course, we are not in control of all contingencies. But for the very least, we don't need to depend on anyone when we arrive there. Ideally, every haji should be able to perform the tawaf, the sa'i, and the umrah on their own. They're not expected to. Generally, they would want the company of others or the leadership of somebody in the know, but they should be able to. And my personal view is that if a pilgrim is unable to perform the basic rituals of the Umrah by himself or herself, just the Umrah, then they are not really ready to undertake the Hajj. In certain countries, like Malaysia, for example, because Hajj is such a rare opportunity and it's so difficult to actually get there, one has to actually write an exam before you are allowed to perform the Hajj. Subhanallah. So with that said, we want to encourage all of our prospective hujjaj for the future, especially those who have been left behind in a sense now, to take this as an opportunity to learn the hajj correctly, because it's only going to come around once we can see that. And when it does come around, when it is our turn, let it be the best possible effort. After the break, we conclude, inshallah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, wa ba'd. Welcome back to Hajj Journey of the Hearts. Again, your host, Malina Irshad Siddiq. And now we conclude. To my brothers and sisters who were seriously hoping to stand on the plains of Arafah this year, but were unable to, either you were not accredited 
or you simply couldn't afford the steep prices. Keep going. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't lose hope. Keep saving. Keep striving. Keep making sacrifices. If your intention is in the right place and you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jal will get you there. It's not the plane that takes you. It's not the agent that takes you. It's not, you know, these are common expressions that we hear from a hujjaj. It is true. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it possible for you and he will make it possible for you. Ameen, ya Rabb. More so, as Allah advised us in verse number two of Surah Ma'idah, assist one another with righteousness and piety. Go and visit the hujjaj. Yes, you were to be among the hujjaj, but Allah has decreed otherwise. Now, go and support those whom Allah Ta'ala has chosen for this particular journey of Hajj. If you don't visit them in person, go and find out where the hujjaj are going to be perhaps for community events. Often these days, there are hujjaj gathered in the masajid, etc. and people come and greet them there. Go and participate in those gatherings. If you know personally of Hujjaj, go and visit them, go and take your salavats to them, go and express your heartfelt desire to them and ask them to make dua for you. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those mustajab times of dua. Wake up in the middle of the night and cry to Allah, beg to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that opportunity. It will never go to waste. And if it means that you need to take the uh, necessary time to save up more money and perhaps go in a few years time, so be it. It's still Hajj. Yes, we are emotional and perhaps a bit angry, perhaps a bit down about all of this, but keep your eyes on the prize. Furthermore, our culture and tradition, especially in Cape Town, South Africa, as far as Hajj is concerned, is a rich and very valuable tradition that we shouldn't let go of. And as the times change and as the challenges change, and challenges will always change and and they'll always be there, we need to adapt along with it. But one thing we cannot afford to do is lose touch with these beautiful traditions entirely. We cannot afford to lose this because the moment we lose these beautiful traditions, these cultural practices that are not intrinsically part of Islam, then along with that goes all the sentimental attachments we have to the Hajj. So many Muslims have performed Hajj because of a story that they've heard a family member or a relative or a friend, a loved one, for example, related about their experiences in Hajj. And a flame was ignited within their own hearts and they said, Oh Allah, I wish to be from among those who stand in the plains of Arafah and say, Labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. And that type of, you know, passing on the baton from one haji to the next, this is part of what happens in our tradition. And the greeting of the hujjaj and the giving of slavats to the hujjaj and the visiting of the hujjaj, sending them off, you know, whether it be at their homes or at the airports, etc. This is what makes hajj such an experience, such a communal event as opposed to just people packing their bags, loading it up in the cars, calling in Uber, getting to the airport, going about their traditions and coming home. And, uh, you know, their neighbors didn't really know that they went on Hajj. It's a very different experience. And for those who perhaps 
are listening to this and are not from Cape Town, South Africa, the reason I'm specifying each and every time why uh, we do these things is perhaps, Allah knows best, but perhaps your community, your neighborhood, and even your family could benefit from some of these amazing practices. And you may have your own practices of Hajj and Umrah. And if you do, share it with others. You know, because the more we have attached to, to deen, the more we have invested in deen, the greater the experience will be of our uh, interaction with our deen. If everything is cold and dry and we just simply stick to the arkan and the shurut and the sunan, we'll be successful. Absolutely we'll be successful. But we won't necessarily be as passionate in our success as those who fill the, the cups with love, with mahabba, with community spirit. To our hujjaj, Allahumma ja'al hajjakum hajjam mabroora, sa'yam mashkoora, dhambam maghfoora. You are in our du'as, you are in our praise, and we sincerely hope that we are in yours. May Allah grant you a hajj maqbool, mabroor, and make the most of it, for this is indeed your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life, for your journey in the next life. This is hajj, journey of the hearts. Jazakumullah khairan for joining me. I'm your host, Malina Irshad Siddiq, and until next time, inshallah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.